Hello everyone, I'm Bob Kieser. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is chapter 45. Last visit to Northern Peria. For over a week, from February 11th to 12th, Jesus and the 12 apostles visited Abner and the Women's Corps in Northern Peria. Everyone was doing well, and Jesus repeatedly pointed out to the apostles that the gospel could now spread without miracles. Abner and his crew worked the entire three months with no more than a little help from the apostles. At this point, their focus was on Jesus' teachings and not so much his personality, but this did not last for long. Soon after the resurrection, Jesus' followers put his teachings aside and instead founded the early church around ideas of miracles and glorified memories of Jesus' divine human personality. The Pharisees at Raghava. On Saturday, February 18th, Jesus was in Raghava. A wealthy Pharisee named Nathaniel lived there, and since a lot of his fellow Pharisees were following Jesus and the twelve around the country, Nathaniel made breakfast for everyone, about twenty in all, and invited Jesus to be the guest of honor. By this time, or by the time that Jesus got to Nathaniel's house, most of the Pharisees, along with a few lawyers, were already seated at the table. When Jesus entered the room, he walked straight over to his seat to the left of Nathanael and sat down without first making a ceremony of washing his hands. A lot of the Pharisees, especially those who followed Jesus, knew that he only washed his hands when he needed to and that Jesus abhorred ceremony like this. So they were not surprised that Jesus did not wash his hands. But Nathanael, the host, was shocked. Jesus was breaking a very strict law of the Pharisees. Jesus, by the way, was also not in the custom of washing his hands after every course of a meal and at the end of a meal, which was also practiced by the Pharisees. Nathanael began whispering to one of the unfriendly Pharisees who was sitting on his right side, while the Pharisees across the table from Jesus were lifting their eyebrows and curling their lips back, sneering. After putting up with this for a while, Jesus said, I thought you invited me here to have dinner with you and maybe ask me about the new gospel of the kingdom. But it seems to me now that you brought me here to watch you celebrate your own self-righteousness. Since you have now done me that favor, what will you do next to honor me as your guest this morning? When Jesus said this, they all looked down at the table and kept quiet. Then Jesus said, Many of you Pharisees are here with me as friends. Some of you are even my disciples. But the majority of the Pharisees continue to refuse to see me 
in the light and truth, even when the work of the gospel is shown to them with great power. You carefully clean your cups and plates for your earthly food, while the vessels for your spiritual food are filthy and polluted. You make sure to look pious and holy to the people, but your souls are filled with greed, extortion, self-righteousness, and all manner of spiritual wickedness. Your leaders even dare to plot against me and plan the murder of the Son of Man. Do you foolish men not understand that God looks at the inner motives of the soul as well as your outward charades of holiness? Do you not think that giving out charity and paying your temple taxes will wash away your unrighteousness and let you stand clean in front of the judge of all men? Pity on you Pharisees who continue to reject the light of life. You make sure to pay the temple tax and you make a ceremony of giving to beggars so that everyone knows how supposedly pious you are. But you knowingly reject God's visit and snub the revelation of his love. While it was okay to attend to your minor duties, you should not have left undone the more important requirements of the kingdom. Misery on anyone who shuns justice, spurns mercy, and rejects truth. Anguish on everyone who despises the Father's revelation while seeking the highest seats in the synagogue and craving flattery and recognition in the markets. When Jesus was about to get up and leave, one of the lawyers said, But Master, in some of the things you are saying, you are also scolding us. Is there nothing good in the scribes, Pharisees, or lawyers? And then Jesus stood up and said, You, just like the Pharisees, Take pleasure in wearing long robes and being the first to eat at the feasts while you put heavy burdens that are dreadful to carry on men's shoulders. And when men's souls stagger under such heavy loads, you will not even lift a finger to help them. Woe to you who take your greatest delight in building tombs for the prophets that your fathers killed. And the fact that you agree with what your fathers did is shown by how you are now planning to kill those who are coming today and doing what the prophets did in their day, announcing the righteousness of God and showing his mercy to all people. But of all the generations that are past, the blood of the prophets and the apostles will be required of this stubborn and self-righteous generation. Misery on all of you lawyers who have taken away the key of knowledge from the common people. You yourselves refuse to enter the way of truth, and at the same time, you try to stop anyone else from entering. But you cannot shut the doors of the kingdom like that. These doors we have opened to everyone who has the faith to enter. These portals of mercy will not be closed by the prejudice and arrogance of false teachers and untrue shepherds, which are like freshly painted burial crypts that, while beautiful on the outside, are filled with dead man's bones 
and all types of spiritual filth on the inside. And when Jesus was done speaking, he left Nathanael's house without eating his breakfast. A few of the Pharisees who heard Jesus that morning entered the kingdom, but most of them stayed in darkness and became even more determined to catch Jesus doing something with which they could charge him. There were three things that the Pharisees insisted on doing. One, the practice of tithing or paying the temple taxes. Two, strictly following the laws of purification. In other words, washing your hands before and during meals and that kind of stuff. Three, not having anything at all to do with anyone who is not a Pharisee. During this encounter at breakfast, Jesus wanted to show the Pharisees how the first two practices had no spiritual meaning. And he held back on scolding them for the third custom, not associating with non-Pharisees, until a little bit later. The Ten Lepers The next day, Jesus and the twelve went over to Amathus, near the border of Samaria. As they approached the city, they ran into a group of ten lepers who were camped out along the way. Nine of these lepers were Jews, and one was a Samaritan. Ordinarily, the Jews would not have anything to do with this Samaritan. But since they all had leprosy, that was more than enough to get them to put their prejudice aside. These lepers had heard much about Jesus and his miracles. Since the 70 evangelists made it a practice to tell the crowds whenever Jesus was going to show up, the lepers knew ahead of time that he was coming. So they moved themselves to the outskirts of the city, hoping to get Jesus' attention so that they could ask him for healing. When the lepers saw Jesus walking toward them, they did not dare to go up to him. So instead, they stood a ways back and yelled out to him, Master, have mercy on us. Cleanse us from our disease. Heal us like you have healed the others. Jesus had just been explaining to the twelve apostles why the Gentiles in Peria, together with the less orthodox Jews, were more willing to believe in the gospel than were the more orthodox and tradition-bound Jews of Judea. He called their attention to the fact that their message had also been better received by the Galileans and even by the Samaritans. But the twelve apostles were not yet willing to feel friendly toward the long-despised Samaritans. So, when Simon Zelotes observed the Samaritan with the lepers, he tried to get Jesus to walk right by them and into the city without even slowing down to say hello to the group. And Jesus said, But what if the Samaritan loves God as well as the Jews? Should we sit in judgment on our fellow men? Who can tell? 
If we make these ten men whole, perhaps the Samaritan will prove more grateful than even the Jews. Do you feel certain about your opinion, Simon? And Simon quickly said, If you heal him, you will soon find out. And Jesus said, So be it, Simon, and you will soon know the truth regarding the gratitude of men and the loving mercy of God. Jesus, going up closer to the lepers, said to them, If you want to be healed, go right now and show yourselves to the priest as required by the law of Moses. And as they went to do this, they were made whole. But when the Samaritans saw that he was being healed, he turned back, and while looking for Jesus, he began to shout his glory for God. And when he did find Jesus, he fell to his knees at his feet and thanked him for his healing. The other nine lepers, the Jews, had also realized that they were being healed. But while they were grateful for their cleansing, they instead continued on their way to show themselves to the priests. As a Samaritan was kneeling at Jesus' feet, Jesus looked around at the twelve, especially at Simon Zelotes, and said, Were not ten people healed? Where then are the other nine, the Jews? Only one, this foreigner, has returned to give glory to God. And then he said to the Samaritan, Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Jesus looked again at his apostles as the stranger walked away. And the apostles all looked at Jesus, except Simon Zelotes, who kept his eyes down. Not one of them said a word. Neither did Jesus say anything. It was not needed. Although all ten of these men had really believed they had leprosy, only four of them really did have the disease. The other six had, and were cured of, a skin disease that was mistaken for leprosy. But the Samaritan, he really did have leprosy. Jesus urged the twelve to not say anything about him healing the lepers. As they continued on and into Amathus, he said, You see how it is that the children of the house, even when they are not faithful to their father's will, take their blessings for granted. They think it is a little thing if they do not say thank you when the father heals them. But the strangers, when they receive gifts from the head of the house, are filled with wonder and they feel they have to show their gratitude, especially for the good things they have received. And still, the apostles said nothing. The Sermon at Jerasa As Jesus 
and the twelve visited with David's messengers at Gerasa. One of the Pharisees who believed in him asked, Lord, will there be few or many that will really be saved? And Jesus said, You have been taught that only Abraham's children will be saved and that only the adopted Gentiles can hope for salvation. Some of you have reasoned that since the scriptures say that only Caleb and Joshua of all of the people that went out of Israel, or excuse me, went out of Egypt, lived to enter the promised land. And in the same way, only a few of those who look for the kingdom will be able to enter it. You have another saying, and one that contains a lot of truth, that the way that leads to eternal life is straight and narrow, so that all of those who are looking for salvation, only a few can enter it. You also have a teaching that says that the way to destruction is broad, that the entrance to it is wide, and that there are many people who choose to go this way. And this proverb is not without its meaning. But I am telling you that salvation is first a matter of your personal choosing. Even if the door to the way of life is narrow, it is wide enough to admit all who sincerely want to enter it, because I am that door. And the Son will never refuse entrance to any child of the universe who, by faith, wants to find the Father through the Son. But here is the danger for everyone who wants to wait to enter the kingdom while they continue to pursue immature pleasures and give in to their own selfishness. After having refused to enter the kingdom as a spiritual experience, they may want to enter the kingdom later when the glory of the better way is revealed in the age to come. If so, when those people who refused the kingdom, when I came in the likeness of humanity, look to enter it when I am revealed in the likeness of divinity, then I will tell those selfish ones, I do not know you. You had your chance to prepare for this heavenly citizenship, but you refused all offers of mercy. You rejected all invitations to come while the door was open. Now, to you who have refused salvation, the door is shut. The door is not open to those people who would enter the kingdom for their own selfish glory. Salvation is not for those who are unwilling to pay the price of wholehearted dedication to doing the Father's will. When in spirit and soul you have turned your backs upon the Father's kingdom, it is useless in mind and body to stand before this door and knock, saying, Lord, open to me, I would also be great in the kingdom. Then I will state that you are not of my fold. I will not receive you among those who have fought the good fight of faith and won the reward of unselfish service in the kingdom on earth. And when you say, Did we not eat and drink with you? And did you not teach in our streets? And then I will tell you that you are spiritual strangers 
that you are not fellow servants in the Father's ministry of mercy on earth, that I do not know you, and then will the judge of all the earth say to you, Depart from us, all you who have taken delight in knowingly sinning against the will of God. But the rest of you fear not. Everyone who sincerely desires to find eternal life by entering the kingdom of God is sure to find everlasting salvation. But you who refuse this salvation will someday see the prophets of Abraham's line sit down with the believers of the Gentile nations in this glorified kingdom to enjoy the bread of water and life. And they who will take the kingdom by living faith and spiritual power come from the north and the south and from the east and the west. And observe, many who are first will be last, and those who are last many times will be first. This was a new and strange version of the old and familiar proverb of the straight and narrow way. Slowly, the apostles and many of the disciples were learning the meaning of Jesus' early statement, Unless you are born again, born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Still, to all who have honest hearts and are sincere in faith, it remains eternally true. Know this, I stand at the doors of men's hearts and knock, and if any man will open to me, I will come in, and I will eat with him, and I will feed him the bread of life. We will be one in spirit and purpose, and we will forever be brothers in the long and fruitful search for the Paradise Father. And so, whether few or many will be saved entirely depends on how many will accept the invitation. I am the door. I am the new and living way. And whosoever wills may enter to embark on the endless search for truth and eternal life. Teaching about accidents. While most of the Palestinians only ate twice a day, it was Jesus and the apostles' customs when they were traveling to stop at noon for a rest and a bite to eat. During one of these breaks on the way to Philadelphia, Thomas asked Jesus, Master, after hearing your remarks this morning, I want to know whether spiritual beings have anything to do with the strange events in the material world, and also whether the angels and other spirit beings are able to prevent accidents. And Jesus said, How long have I been with you, and yet you still ask me these questions? Have you failed to see how the Son of Man lives as one with you, and how he constantly refuses to use the forces of heaven for his personal needs? Do we not all live in the same way that all men live? Do you not see the power of the spiritual world in the material life? Or do you only see the Father when he sometimes heals his children? For too long, your fathers have believed that prosperity 
was a sign of divine approval. That adversity was the proof of God's displeasure. I am telling you that those beliefs are superstitions. Do you not see that a lot more of the poor joyfully receive the gospel and immediately enter the kingdom? If riches are proof of God's favor, why do so many rich people refuse to believe this good news of the kingdom? The Father causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. In the same way, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know about those Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with the sacrifices. But I tell you, these Galileans were no more sinners than their brothers just because that happened to them. And you know also about the 18 men who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell. Do you not think, or rather, do not think that these men were killed because they were the worst sinners in Jerusalem. These people were simply the innocent victims of one of the accidents of time. There are three types of events that can happen in your lives. One, you can share in the normal life experience that comes about as you all live your material lives on earth. Two, you can fall victim to a natural accident or one of men's mistakes, knowing full well that such misfortune is in no way prearranged or otherwise done by the spiritual forces of the realm. 3. You can reap the harvest of your directed efforts and compliance with the natural laws governing the world. There was a man who planted a fig tree in his yard. And after looking for fruit many times and finding none, he called his gardeners in front of him and said, I have come here for three seasons in a row looking for figs from this tree, and I have found none. Cut down this barren, unfruitful tree. Why should it take up space in the ground? But the head gardener answered his master, Leave it alone for one more year so that I can dig around it and put fertilizer on it. And then next year, if it bears no fruit, it will be cut down. And when they had thus followed the laws of fruitfulness, since the tree was good and living, they were rewarded with a full harvest. When it comes to sickness and health, you should know that these bodily states are the result of material causes. Health is not the smile of heaven, neither is disease the frown of God. The Father's human children have equal ability to receive material blessings, and our Father gives physical things to His children without discrimination. When it comes to giving spiritual gifts, the Father is limited by the person's ability to receive them. Although the Father is no respecter of persons, when giving spiritual gifts, he is limited by man's faith and by his willingness to always abide by the Father's will. As they journeyed on toward Philadelphia, 
Jesus continued to teach them and to answer their questions about sickness, accidents, and miracles. But they were not able to fully understand what he taught them. One hour of teaching will not wholly change the beliefs of a lifetime. So Jesus found it necessary to repeat his messages again and again. And even then, they failed to get the reason he was on earth until after his death and destruction. Till after his death and resurrection. The Congregation at Philadelphia Jesus and the Twelve Apostles made their way to visit Abner and his crew, who were preaching and teaching in Philadelphia. Of all of the cities in Peria, Philadelphia had the largest group of people, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, who believed in the gospel and who had entered the kingdom. The Philadelphia synagogue had never been subject to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And because of that, it had never closed its doors to Jesus' teachings. At that time, Abner was working in the synagogue three times a day. Later on, this synagogue became a Christian church, and it was the missionary headquarters for spreading the gospel into the lands to the east. It was long a stronghold of Jesus' teachings and stood alone in this region, as a center of Christian learning for centuries. The Jews in Jerusalem had always had trouble with the Jews in Philadelphia. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Jerusalem church, of which James, Jesus' brother, was the leader, began to have serious problems with the believers in Philadelphia. Abner became the head of the Philadelphia church and remained its leader until his death. The separation that resulted from these disagreements with Jerusalem explains why Abner and his work is not mentioned in the New Testament. This feud between Jerusalem and Philadelphia lasted throughout James and Abner's lives and then it continued on for some time after the destruction of Jerusalem. Philadelphia was the real headquarters of the early church in the south and the east, just like Antioch was in the north and the west. It was apparently Abner's misfortune to be at odds with all of the leaders of the early Christian church. He fell out with Peter and James, Jesus' brother, over questions of administration and jurisdiction and he parted company with Paul over the differences they had in philosophy and theology. Abner was more Babylonian than Hellenic in his philosophy, and he stubbornly resisted all of Paul's attempts to change Jesus' teachings so that they were less objectionable, first to the Jews and then to the Greco-Romans who believed in the mysteries. Because of this, Abner was forced to live an isolated life. He was the head of a church that had no standing in Jerusalem. He had dared to defy James, Jesus' brother, who Peter later supported. These actions worked 
to separate him from all of his former associates. Then he dared to go up against Paul. Although he was wholly sympathetic with Paul in his mission to the Gentiles, and although he supported Paul in his disagreements with the church at Jerusalem, he bitterly opposed Paul's version of Jesus' teachings. In his last years of life, Abner denounced Paul and called him the clever corrupter of the life teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God. During Abner's later years, and for some time afterward, the believers in Philadelphia held to Jesus' religion as he had lived and taught it, more than did any other group of people on earth. Abner lived to be 89 years old, dying in Philadelphia on November 21st, A.D. 74. To the very end of his life, he was a faithful believer in and teacher of the gospel of the heavenly kingdom. Okay, everyone, that's it for chapter 45, last visit to Northern Peria. Chapter 46, a visit to Philadelphia, will be up in a day or two. Defend liberty. Protect those kids. Find some way to get out there and serve man for nothing more or less than the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here.